Welcome to the True Blue Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Joe Kilgallen. And as always, I'd like to start off by thanking you, the listener, for checking out the True Blue Cubs podcast. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to other episodes, especially those that have guests. Because what I like to do on this podcast is I like to interview fellow diehard Cubs fans about what it is that made them become obsessed with our beloved Cubs whether it was their first time at Wrigley Field, catching them on good old WGN with Harry Carey, or a player that just made them say, this is my team, or really geography, because a lot of it's just being born and raised in Chicago or around Chicago, or even you know the suburbs where people like to say, I'm from Chicago, and then us people who live in Chicago are like, no, you're from Arlington Heights, which is a fine place to be from. Just say that. You're confusing people out there in the world by saying you're from Chicago when you're very much not. Just putting that out there. We love you all. You're all welcome. But come on. I mean, you got a big old mall right by you. You got a Cinnabon. You should be happy with where you're from. Okay? Just putting that out there. All right, True Blue Cubs fans. Today's episode, I'm going to recap the month of April. Chicago Cubs finished the month of April 12 and 16, or were they 11 and 15, because we are now into May. I apologize, everybody. If I'm getting this podcast out, uh, it's Monday night. You're going to hear this on a Tuesday morning. Last week's episode, I highly encourage you to go back to go back and listen to all the episodes because that's the beautiful thing about interviewing different people is that you could catch up on them forever. You know, I get it with some sports podcasts. You're not going to go back and be like, oh, I'm going to listen to a random episode from 2019. That wouldn't make sense. But with this one, you could go back and listen to episode one of the 2021 season in which I interviewed the director of morale for the Chicago Cubs, one Dom Frederick. Or you could go back to last week when I had Sarah Sanchez from Fangraphs and Bleed Cubby Blue. Or when I had comedian Mike Bridenstine, who is also a baseball historian and a stand-up comedian. How, how often do you come across that combo? Never, basically. And then I also had uh, one of the biggest Cubs fans on the planet Earth, uh, Crawley from Crawley's Cubs Kingdom. So those are all the episodes I've had with guests. You could go back and catch a couple from last season, too. And in which I, yeah, I started this around 2020 before I knew what it was going to become. And now it's become the true blue Cubs podcast and which, you know, I just, I just want to hear stories from fellow Cubs fans about what makes us love the Cubs so much. And I'm glad I'm starting that format this season because this season, our beloved Cubs are in a bit of a transition. I'm not going to say rebuild because I'm going to give the front office the benefit of the doubt. They have said, we're not tearing anything down. There's no real rebuild happening. This is a transition. We are looking towards the future while trying to maintain some sort of competitive balance, I suppose, which we haven't seen. Before I recap April, there are some things we need to talk about a little bit in regards to what Jed Hoyer said on opening day. Is this a transitional year? Is ownership blind to us? I think a lot of the frustrations I'm seeing from Cubs fans on Twitter, although it is Twitter and I do love each and one of, every one of you that follow me on Twitter, we have to remind ourselves it's an emotional place, that Twitter. You know, a lot of people don't know how to pick a lane, a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of we need to get rid of everybody to the very next day being like, well, we can't get rid of them, not that person or that. Like, okay, what is it then? I believe that the Cubs, because of some decisions made outside of baseball in regards to the renovation of Wrigley Field and the developments around Wrigley Field, whether it be the hotel or other such properties that were supposed to be revenue generators. I believe there were some mistakes made on that side or some over budgeting perhaps. And that was said, that was said by Cubs owner Tom Ricketts that they screwed up that budget. But it was also said that that wouldn't bleed into the baseball operations. Now it's kind of hard for the layman myself uh, included in that to be, to quite believe that, you know, it just doesn't seem right to me the way the Cubs just shut down their spending after the 2018 season. What was the big move for 2019? Daniel Descalso and Brad Brockman, I think I might be messing up his name. It doesn't even matter. He's like the eighth guy out of your bullpen. Those two deals, what accumulated to how much on AAV? $4 million. You had $4 million to your payroll. I guess you could say they picked up Cole Hamill's option too. That was $13 million right there because they offset that by trading Drew Smiley. So then 2020, going into that offseason, I don't think they had a, Jason Kipnis, I correct myself, and, and Jeremy Jeffers, 
who I think just got signed by a team. I don't know. There's that, that's a whole nother podcast, guys. Uh, Google Jeremy Jeffers. Look at what's going on with him on Twitter. You know, he got cut by the Nationals and then some crazy stuff with his agent. Uh, I, I just hope he's okay because a lot of those tweets reminded me of some friends who, who were in some dark places. So I, I hope he's okay. Um, he seemed very angry and, and kind of rightfully so. The guy had a solid year last year. I know his peripherals said he wasn't a guy with a 1.9 ERA, that he really should have been pitching to about a 4.5 according to his FIP. But still, you think he'd get a job just off of, you know, he's an arm. He, he, st- he, he still had some nasty stuff, I thought. Anyhow, though, let's stick to the matter at hand. So that's two off-seasons doing nothing. And then 2021 off-season starts to roll into effect. Of course, that starts late in the year 2020. And the big splash was you Darvish being traded to the San Diego Padres along with Victor Caratini, who became his personal catcher with the Chicago Cubs, in exchange for Zach Davies and four teenagers. I think one guy might have been almost 20. One was 17, I think, and a couple 18-year-olds. A few international signings. Look, these are players who very well could pan out. I mean, if even two of the four become major leaguers, or eh, they'd be more than that because Darvish was runner-up for saying, but say two of the four become all-stars, then that's a really, really good trade. Now, I was under the impression that that was strictly, you need to move this salary. That's what was told to Jed. Theo stepped down in around November of 2020. Jed takes over. He's told, hey, look, we need to cut payroll. We took massive losses on every facet of our baseball ecosystem here. Couldn't have people in the stands. Uh, Marquee Network got off to a poor start because of lack of games, and we couldn't come up with deals with Comcast. You know, there's all sorts of stuff in the business operations that bled into the baseball operations and blah, 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 blah. You guys all get it. So that's why I believe Darvish was moved. A lot of people say, well, clearly moving Darvish means they don't care about winning. Some, Yeah, I, 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 would, I, I get that. Because if you're trying to win in 2021, you're not really getting rid of the Cy Young runner-up. That doesn't make sense. Who's only making $21, $22 million a year. That is incredibly affordable for an ace. The Cubs' payroll as it stands, according to Sports Track and a lot of other very reputable sources, is at about $155 million. The luxury tax threshold is $210 million. So we are considerably under. You know, about $60 million under that $65 million. I'm bad at math. Yeah, 65 million or so under. So they could have easily kept you. And some of that was offset by getting $8 million back uh, with the Davies. So they could have not made that trade, kept you, and been at about what, 160, 170 or something like that? I'm trying to do, again, not good at math. You didn't come here for the math, everybody. <laughs> My point is this, though. There must have been something about it that said, we need to be low. And if you could get it low, then, once we know for sure that we could have fans in the stands, which, again, Chicago as a city was the last to announce that they were going to do 25% capacity. It was, a hand, it was like a handful of days before spring training ended. So a handful of days before opening day in which it was announced finally that spring training would happen. Maybe it was a week or two. I don't know. But I know it was definitely, definitely way later than every other city. But that, a lot of that's Chicago politics, you know. I think we all know that. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. We understand how Chicago city politics work. So you you get that information. All right, 25% capacity. That sounds pretty good. All right, cool, cool. Now next year, 2022, I see no reason why you can't expect full houses at Wrigley Field back to 100% capacity. Knowing that going into the off season of 2022, if they're not spending and spending massively, that I don't know what's going that. Something needs to be done from the fans' point. I mean, boycotts, riots. I don't know. I'm not encouraging any kind of violence, of course, everybody. Legally, I have to say things like this. But it's it, that would be an insult to the to a fan base that has supported the highest ticket prices in baseball, $12 beers, and has really just been the most loyal fan base in baseball history. You know? It, and I can't imagine that. I just can't imagine the Ricketts are going to just go back to being like, oh, well, it's another rebuild. So, Because if they do push this idea of another full rebuild going into 2022, know this. They are using this pandemic and the losses from it as the cover. That I mean, they're going to use the rebuild to cover that. Trust me. They're going to say, no, no, it has nothing to do with that. We just believe this is the best path going forward, and it's not the best path going forward. This is something that the Tampa Bays of the world have to do. And they do it well, but they have to do it. They don't want to do it. You think Tampa 
wants to suck for three years, be good for three years, and then after that third year have to trade a bunch of people because they're due arbitration raises? You think they want that? I heard a lot of fans during the World Series last year being like, Tampa Bay has a $55 million payroll, and they're in the World Series while we have a high. And You can't compare them. You don't trust me, Cubs fans. You don't want us operating like Tampa. Because there's a reason the Tampas of the world fall short. The Oaklands of the world fall short. Yes, they come up with great competitive edges. They develop incredibly well. They draft well. They, like Moneyball says, they find value where nobody else could find value. And I love, I respect it. It's great. But in the same regard, there's reasons they have more time to let players develop. Because there's no pressure from their fan base. They, the fan base has just accepted, hey, we're not going to go out and get those big splash free agents to put us over the top to win a World Series. Think about it. If the Cubs operated like the Tampa Bay Rays, we don't get that World Series in 2016. Some of you might be listening. What do you mean? We were mostly homegrown team. Yeah, we were mostly a homegrown team. But who was the World Series MVP of that team? It was one Ben Zobrist. Now, Ben Zobrist cost us four years, $56 million. Great contract. Well worth it. But we also had Starlin Castro. We traded him to make room for Ben Zobris because we wanted Ben's bat. We wanted the versatility. We wanted a switch hitter, high contact guy, playoff experience, won a World Series with Kansas City the season before. We wanted all that. If we were a Tampa Bay team, we wouldn't be able to afford that. And even if we could maybe swing it, we'd be like, well, we have money committed to Starlin Castro. He's cheaper long-term. It keeps our budget. That's what I mean. The Tampa Bay's and the Oakland's I respect, I root for, but I do not want my third largest market in America franchise that draws over 3 million fans of year, a year at the highest ticket prices in baseball, now launching their own network, building a big giant scoreboard, ads all over the place in Wrigley. I'm peeing in a giant sink. That's what the troughs are, everyone, the giant sinks for the for the female listeners. I don't know if you know this, but in the men's room at Wrigley Field, you're just peeing in a huge sink. Some people think, well, that's gross. I actually like it because less lines. I went to go take a leak at a Marlins game in 2007, missed three innings of the game because it was all urinals. Everyone lined up for urinals. It was like, what are we doing, guys? Huh? Right? This is in kindergarten. You're not pulling your pants all the way down to your ankles. What's taking all the extra time? You shake and yeah, you get a little pee inside your pants. You get a little drip down your thigh, but you're hurrying back to the game so you could watch. That was a bad ballpark. The old Marlins Stadium was a football player state. It was a football stadium. I think they called it Pro Player Stadium. It was Joe Robbie Stadium. They had different name changes all the time. The seats didn't all angle toward the diamond because again, it was built for football. Anytime they had a big crowd, concessions didn't know what to do. So when the Cubs were in town, it, you know, a lot of Chicago fans all over the place. We'd pack that ballpark and they were like, oh my God, we're used to eight people. What is it? What is all these people doing here to watch a baseball game? Really? And they did that thing too, which they do at, at hockey games sometimes. And I understand that hockey's nonstop action. I, I respect it at a hockey game, but they did a thing at the Marlins game where they stopped me from getting back to my seat until there was a break in the action. And I'm like, this is baseball. I'm sorry. There's, there's a break in the action. Every other pitch. Could you please let me get back to my seat? All right. So the main point before I went on my little tangent there, which I think we all enjoy, it's it's some insight, is that we should be demanding more. Now, I understand that major market teams don't want to go over the luxury tax too often. And I understand that a pandemic really kind of screwed that up a little bit because 2020 might have been the season that they were looking about reassessing some things. And for some reason, the Cubs with this amazing core of talent, they just don't mesh well as an offensive unit without the Ben Zobris and Dexter Fowler type. You know, it's too many of the same hitter profile. You know, on paper, you look at it thinking, man, Chris Bryant, that's 30 home run potential. Anthony Rizzo's had over 30. Wilson Contreras, if he's fully healthy, that's a 30 home run guy. Javi Baez, a third. You've got four guys who get over. And then when, before that, when we non-tendered Schwarber, Schwarber was a guy who had over 30 home runs at 38 in 2019 and 30 a couple seasons before that too. So you're like, man, we got five guys who have the potential of hitting 35 home runs. Damn, I love that. Just doesn't work though. Because again, you run into a pitcher who knows how to pitch to that style of hitter and then the whole lineup goes cold. That, and we're still seeing the effects of that. That's why you see the Cubs get shut out two games in a row and then go off for 15. That's just the, the way it's constructed. And I believe they do. they did figure that out. I believe Theo and Jed realized that. That... I think I think they thought the guys would evolve a little bit better than they did. 
And, and you know what? You know, the, I don't like the idea of blame. Everyone always wants to blame. It was this, this, this. Look, it was a lot of factors. A lot of weird went in. When you look at this seven-year window that began in 2015, as a Cubs fan, you should be, do nothing but smile. It was a seven-year run from 2015 to 2021. I'm counting this year as part of it, in which we would have made the playoffs five out of seven years. Hey, look, I'm not giving up on this year either. We go on an eight out of 10 streak. Who knows what's going to happen? So let's keep the heads up. I'm not trying to be all doom and gloom and sad, but I have to recap the month of April accurately, and I feel like I can't truly recap what happened in April without talking about what went into this offseason, and it was an accumulation of things over the last three years, really starting at the end of 2018. Now, in between interviewing guests on this podcast, I've done these solo episodes in which I try to break down something specific to give you value as a listener. Because again, I love talking Cubs and I love talking Cubs with you. And I know I'm a comedian and I should make it as entertaining as possible too. But some of this is just, uh, it's a grim reality on occasion, you know, because I just want everyone to, if this is going to be the end for certain players on this team, I want us to try to enjoy it while we can. Because again, I'm not a very old guy. I'm in my mid thirties. But talking to my father and my uncles and all that, these things are rare. They still talk about that Ernie Banks, Ron Santo, Billy Williams, Ferguson Jenkins era fondly. And they won nothing. And I know we'll all look back fondly, but we should also enjoy it while it's here. There's a great quote from the television show, The Office. Maybe you've heard of it. Have you heard of The Office? Good show. Started in Britain originally. Fun fact. But <laughs> The actor, Ed Helms. I always want to say Wes Helms, who was a former baseball player, played for the Brewers and a few other teams. But Ed Helms says, he's looking at the camera, you know, because they always do that. It's like a mockumentary style show where he says, I wish that you realized you were living in the good old days while the good old days were happening. Like, I, you know, and I thought about them like that's that's exactly what we're doing right now. We are living in the golden era of Cubs baseball we have been over the last five to seven years. And I feel like from comments I read, which again, Joe, why are you reading all these comments? What are you insane? You have a family that loves you. What are you doing? But from reading the reactions on all the social media platforms, there's a lot of misery. And I know it's this sinking feeling that are we going to go back to the way it was before Theo Epstein came in? Are we going back to that where we just had very little hope and just it just looked bad, you know what I mean. You'd get excited for free agent signs. I was I would love to compile a list of the free agent signings that I was excited for because I had to be because that's that was the height of my expectations as a Cubs fan. I remember getting excited for Jeremy Burnett's in two thousand five. A well past his prime, Jeremy Burnett's, who had a mighty fine career. That's not a knock on you, Jeremy, because I'm sure you're listening. It's a big fan of yours. You had a fun swing. You're a lefty guy who looked like you'd like to enjoy some some Miller High Life's. Not Miller Light, because that's for sissies. Miller High Life. That's what you were doing, Jeremy Burnett's. There were some other free, I mean, just some really signings where you're just like, that's who I'm pumped for. Henry Rodriguez, that's the protection Sosa needs to really go. I actually did 66 home runs with Henry Rodriguez hitting behind him. But, you know, some other factors at bay there. Also, I got to do a whole podcast uh, dedicated to Sammy Sosa. Really bothers me that he hasn't been welcomed back to Wrigley. I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the past lately. Because, and again, I'm not overly nostalgic. I don't live in the past because, but in order to appreciate the present and to look forward to the future, you also have to respect the past. I'm a believer in that. I'm trying to be philosophical for some reason today on the podcast. I'm not sure why. Maybe because, yeah, because there's just a lot of questions. And that's why I think the frustrations lie. Where, what direction are the Cubs going in? I think that's the the main point of today's episode of the podcast. What direction is the team going in? And I think they got it. I think they have a I think they're in an amazing situation. They really are actually in an amazing situation, Cubs fans. Oh, back to what I was saying before about enjoying the moment. I think a lot of people were disappointed they didn't win more than one World Series. But the one World Series we did win, tell me that wasn't the greatest feeling in the world. Come on, Cubs fans. If you're listening right now, you should do what I do. Once a week, maybe once every 10 days now that my kids are a little older and I have to do a lot of stuff with them. They're foreign too. a lot of stuff. What am I saying? But I used to once a week watch game seven highlights on YouTube 
you know, I talked about this when I had Crawley on the podcast a couple episodes ago about how much fun it is because so, so many people made so many cool videos. There's that Sia song, Unstoppable, and they played like highlights to that song. And someone took the score from Remember the Titans and and made a highlight video to that. And I'm like, this is just the best. It's so cool. And we'll never top that as fans. And there is a sadness to that, knowing like, oh, there's nothing ever is going to come com, come close to that, you know? I'm a huge Blackhawks fan too. 2013 was amazing. 2015 was amazing. But that first one was the best, 2010. I mean, with the Bulls dynasty in the 90s, I was in grade school, so it was just cool. But it's not like I was going to the bar with my friends drinking and having a good time. But that was some kind of other special. That was just like greatness where you're like, how much more can Michael Jordan win? How to what heights is this man's career going to continue to rise? Baseball is just a different game. There hasn't been a back-to-back winner since the Yankees in the late nineties. There hasn't been really a dynasty unless you want to count that believe even giants that 2010, 2012, 2014 shenanigans. Um, it wasn't shenanigans. It was great. I would, I would trade that in a heartbeat too, but a lot, a lot has to go right for you to win multiple times. And there's a lot of right you can do. So sometimes I feel like everyone's just like, oh, they didn't win. So whose fault is it? Sometimes you do everything right and it just doesn't work out. I, I thought about the some of the signings that people were really griping over. You know, I started off this podcast talking about you, Darvish. Was you ask yourself right now, Cubs fans, at the end of the 2018 season, did you consider you Darvish a good signing? There's no way you did. He was terrible in 2018. I know you might be listening, oh, well, he was hurt. Yeah, but even when he pitched, he was terrible. He made seven or eight starts. Was he hurt for all seven or eight of them? Or was he bad and then tried to overcorrect why he was bad and then that led to an injury? I think that's unfair. I'm not really sure. I love you, Darvish. Love his personality. Love the fact that he came back from that. Because, you know, at the end of 2017 World Series, we found the Astros were cheating. He thought he was tipping pitches. So he was trying to fix mechanics that there was nothing wrong with them. He was trying to fix a problem that wasn't there because the Astros cheated him. And that's still... That still has to anger all of us that they they, they got a slap on the wrist. What is that? Colossal mistake by Major League Baseball, but not setting a greater example. And then you battles back. And by the, end, by the second half of 2019, he figures it out. He was great in the second half of 2019 and then great in his 12 starts in 2020. But I do understand. I think what killed Cubs fans were the fact that they didn't get a closer to MLB ready talent in the Darvish trade. The fact that we got like no one ranked in their top 10 and look, San Diego's farm system is deep. Just because someone's not ranked in the top 10 doesn't mean they're not going to become a star. And of the four prospects the Cubs got from them at the end of this year, one or two of them might be creeping in that top hundred. If they go off, you don't know two years from now, they all might eventually get in there. Glabar Torres, when the Cubs traded him in 2016 for Chapman was not I think he was like number 20 on our prospects list, which means he wasn't top 100 in baseball. And I remember at the time we traded people like, Oh, he's going to be so good because at that time, every Cubs fan, so funny, the impact that Theo Epstein had on the culture of Cubs fans growing up. I never heard any Cubs fans talk about prospects. We knew that whoever we had prospect wise, wasn't that good. And if they came up and they were talked about being good, people were like trade him for someone who's established. Nobody cared about the farm system. I mean, yeah, you, you might be listening thinking, I gave a crap. Well, you're on the fringe, my friend, because so many people, I never heard anyone talk about it. Now, Theo comes in and I'm hearing everyone using his quotes against him even. It's funny to me. They're like, oh my God, he traded this guy and that guy. And then later they're like, well, Theo lost his major touch. I'm like, oh, well, then we should want to trade these guys, right? Because they're bad. Theo's no longer good anymore. So we should we should trade Nico. We should, we should trade Brendan Davis. Well, these are Theo guys, right? That's what you said. You said Theo sucks now. So shouldn't we get rid of anyone he's touched? Oh, no, I, I didn't mean that. Okay. All right. Try not to let your emotions cloud everything. That's what kills me. Look at the Bears, everybody. If I could step aside and talk a little Chicago football with you, everyone is raving about the Bears draft from a couple nights ago. They went out and got a potential franchise quarterback in fields. He looks great. The offensive lineman whose name I'm blanking on right now, uh, Jenkins, looks awesome. So right there, every Bears fan I know is jumping up and down going, oh my God, Ryan Pace, you beautiful man. I can't believe you you made these picks. That's my, like, he was a guy that made, had terrible draft, terrible choice after terrible choice. A guy I thought should have been fired and still don't feel that confident in him long-term. But if a guy like that could rebound and, and do well, 
Obviously, Theo and Jed can too. I think there was a dip on the front office's side, a small dip that they would probably even admit to. And I think they did admit to. They said, oh, we believed in our guys a little too much. We might have gotten a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They've all said it, but I still believe in them going forward. And I believed in the Darvish trade at the time. Darvish trade, what I'm saying. Darvish signing initially, even though he was bad in 2018. Him being bad in 2018 had a ripple effect. It did. And I know a lot of people say, well, if we would have developed our own pitching, I go, yeah, but that also wasn't the strategy. Read Tom Verducci's book, The Cubs Way. It talks at length about how the Cubs strategy, and it was the right strategy, clearly, 2016 World Series champions, baby, was to draft and develop young hitting and trade and sign for pitching because they had to get it right. They couldn't miss. They had a five-year plan in place. And they said, this organization, this fan base has waited long enough for a World Series. This is our most efficient, fastest route to getting the city of Chicago and Cubs fans across the world to the promised land. Pitching is so unpredictable. Guys get injured constantly. Let's do it this way. We'll find the, you know, we Jake Arrieta is a guy where it's like Baltimore, ah, they got a history of screwing pitchers up. They don't have him throwing the cutter anymore. That was one of his best pitches. They believe it leads to injuries. They're wrong. We're right. Let's go get him. Right? Let's get him to throw Pedro Strope in too. Trust me on this guy. I like this Strope guy. All right. You think they'll throw in Strope too? Yeah, why not? Let's ask. Bam. Got him. Ryan Dempster. By the way, happy birthday, Ryan Dempster, everyone. Good friend of mine. He jokes about it all the time. 12 starts of Ryan Dempster to the Texas Rangers gave us eight years of Kyle Hendricks. Traded Dempster for Hendricks. Got Hendricks when he was an A-ball. So the Cubs did develop Hendricks. Can't deny that. Then you go out and you get yourself an ace in John Lester. A guy who's got playoff experience, who had won a couple rings. You go get him and you let the rest of the league know, hey, we're here now. We're the ones doing the knocking. The Cubs have arrived. Fill out the rotation with Jason Hamels, a nice inning eater, and and, and Lackey, another dude who just, just oozes, I'm tough. Let's go. Let's pony up. I didn't come here for a haircut, as he said. I came here for jewelry. So you have John Lackey, Jason Hamill. I always want to say Hamels, but Cole Hamels. I, I mix it up there, which who's got the S at the last name at the end of their last name. And there's your rotation. And then you, they picked up a guy like Hector Rondon, who actually just retired. Great career he had. He was huge for us in the 2015 NLCS. Or NLDS, I should say. And then you have, yeah, so you've Hector Rondon as your closer in 2015 was very capable, but come 2016, you're like, ah, he's good, but we need something more shut down. Then you take from your depth because they had so much offensive depth and you go out and you get yourself a Chapman. That's what you do. So the idea that, you know, they had it, the hitting just didn't keep getting better like they thought. And they kind of made a mistake by not balancing the lineup as much as they should have. So that's where I think they've they've owned up to and they realize that. Look at the 2018 draft. 2018, they took Nico Horner in the first round, Brennan Davis in the second round. What do those two players have in common? Both high contact bats, guys who do not strike out. Now, enough of the rambling, enough of the pretext of why I needed to say all that before I get into the month of April. Again, the Cubs in the month of April went uh, four games under 500. I think they ended April at 11 and 15. They're now 12 and 16 overall. Four games under 500. They are behind the Milwaukee Brewers by five games in the standings. They're looking up at Pittsburgh where they're half a game behind. Cincinnati's in the middle, 13 and 14, and the Cardinals are 16 and 12. Milwaukee atop the Central at 17 and 11. All right. The good. Let's focus on the good because I feel like I, I don't I don't want anyone listening to think, man, that was that last 25 to 30 minutes of Joe talking there was just real sad to think about. No, because I want you guys to enjoy it. I want you to have fun. Baseball's fun. When Anthony Rizzo strikes out Freddie Freeman, you're supposed to smile and laugh. I don't care if you're getting your butts kicked. You're you're not children. You know when a game's out of reach and you need to find the joy in certain things, right? Also, I think that relaxed the team. They all had fun toward the, if you could find if your team could find a way to walk off the field not feeling pathetic after getting their asses handed to them by 10 runs, I think that's a good thing because it leads into a positive the next day. Now, I know there's some fans out there who are old school and they're like, no, nah, they should be they should be punching walls and and, and cutting themselves and, and crying and, and, and get, you know, a big bowl of ice cream, sad tears while they're in their bathrobes, crying to their wives on their phone long distance in the hotel room. That's what they should be doing. It's like, what? Where, where are you from where that works? That doesn't work. It's never worked. 
You just think that. You think because that's how you would be. But you're not a professional athlete doing this every single day. You think Mickey Mantle when the Yankees would, well, they didn't get their butts kicked too often. But you think when they lost like 7 nothing to Boston, you think Mickey Mantle was like, well, I'm just going to go home and, and write in my journal, write in my diary. I'm going to be real mad. I'm going to have an angry, no, you know what he did? He went to the bar. He had about 100 Manhattans in Manhattan. Had himself, had himself a hell of a good time. Maybe too much fun, perhaps. Who knows? But still, this idea that they should be sulking and kicking dirt. And like, no, this isn't high school baseball. These guys are professionals. And yeah, some of them are going to be mad and they're going to show that kind of frustration. A lot of people are saying they need a John Lackey and a Miguel Montero type to really, you know, punch some lockers. And I go, okay, you think that works? Everyone still thinks that works. I, I, you see no proof of that. Very little proof of the fact that there's some guy, and a lot of these younger players just don't, they see through that. They do. They see through that nonsense. They go, oh, really? You know, I believe, I think they believe in accountability. I think that's why David Ross was hired. I, you know, I think he'll, I think he's the type of guy that's going to get up their ass and be like, Hey, you need to work harder. No more stupid mistakes out there. You know, he bent Schwarber late in 2020 for lollygagging a ball in left field corner for that. I'm all for that. Probably he missed a chance at benching Javi when he should have, I thought, but I really do think it was also at a weird time in the schedule where it's like, all right, I have to sit this guy. And if I sit that guy, Javi's a guy that usually plays 110%. He hot dog to play. I'm going to, you know, maybe he did get on him. Rizzo is getting on him in the dugout. So again, we don't know what happens behind closed doors. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, yell at teammates and, and, and your players as a manager when they're not putting in the effort. But if you put in the effort and you just lose 10 nothing, what can you do? We've seen a lot of games this year where the pitching has just been atrocious and we're down 6 nothing after the first. And these guys have grinded their way to try to get back into the game. But when it's 10 nothing in the seventh and it's just not looking right, I don't I have no qualms about, hey, let's make the best of a bad situation. Because again, we're adults. And you know what? The next day the Cubs won. The next day they, you know, they started to look good. And ever since then, offensively, they've looked a lot better. They closed out the month of April looking far more consistent on the offensive side of things. So that's part of the good, that the offense is starting to really kind of like come into a groove that just wasn't there in the beginning. So if we're going to focus on the good, I have to start with Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant is off to the best start of his career. He had the best month of April of his career. He just wrapped NL Player of the Week honors. He is tied for the National League lead in home runs. He is second in the National League in Fangraph's wins above replacement. That's F4 for my fellow baseball nerds out there. The guy is just on fire, okay? He's playing left field, third base. He was going to start in center today before the Cubs game got rained out against the Dodgers. I mean, look at these numbers right now. Nine home runs. You guys know that, though. But he's, he's also leading in all of extra base hits. Strikeout rate is at 23.4%, which is league average. You take that. Walk rate, 11.7%. That's solid right there. Then you got his bat pips a little bit higher than normal. So probably why his average is at 323 right now. But look at this. 405 on base. 708 slugging. It's a fantastic thing to see. And look at this. Weighted runs created plus 192. That means he is 92% above league average. 92% playing above average defense as well. Above average base runner. Chris Bryant is no, it's no secret. Everyone he is in the final year of his contract with the Chicago Cubs. Now, a lot of fans are like, Oh, he's a Boris guy. We need to rebuild. I say, no, no. I've mentioned this in a couple of my Cubs post game recaps. I've tweeted about it from the true blue Cubs podcast account. If you guys follow me on at Joe Kilgallen, please do me a favor and follow me at True Blue Cubs as well. Really appreciate that. And big shout out to everyone who's been following my Cubs postgame recaps. It was something I started kind of like as a mess around in the year 2020 because, you know, as a comedian, all the comedy clubs are closed. And I just wanted something to do to keep my head on straight, you know, without comedy. A lot of comedians were like, this, this sucks. What do we do? So uh, just to create more content and have some fun with people. And I love the Cubs. And it's turned into a thing that I, I look forward to doing every day. And there are times where it's made me where I really have to watch the game. I'm at comedy shows in the back of the club watching on game on game day, you know. Sometimes I'll sneak my AirPod in there. I'm listening to Pat and Ron on the radio. And then, you know, when the last out happens, I you know, I've run outside the comedy club. I've been at Laugh Factory Zanies where I popped outside going, Hey, real quick, everyone comes recap. Here's what happened. And I try to make them fun too. 
if you're looking for like a serious, serious recap, follow David Kaplan. You know, he, he keeps it more serious. It's a little harder on the Cubs than I am. I try to keep it fun and positive and silly. You know, I'll make fun of a bad camera angle. Like I had one where I talked about that stupid. Every now and then they'll do that behind the umpire, behind home plate camera angle. You know, where you see the pitcher pitch to nothing because all you're seeing is the back of the umpire's ass. There is not a worse camera angle in sports or in the history of camera angles. Because as a fan, when the player hits it, you're not sure where it went right away. And and if he does, if he takes the pitch, you have no idea if it was a strike. You didn't see where the ball landed in the strike zone. It's the dumb. I don't know who decided, well, we've got the camera there. We might as well screw everyone's enjoyment of the game. I don't know. Some some person, some horrible person who probably couldn't cut it in film school. I don't know. I'm getting a little angry thinking about it. Such a bad camera angle. But yeah, in one of my Cubs post-game recaps, I talked about how to let Chris Bryant play in another uniform next year and into the future will be right up there with the Greg Maddox going to Atlanta in the early 90s after the, after he won the Cy Young in 92. He signed with Atlanta because it was he wanted he said I want to stay in Chicago, I want to stay in Chicago, and it was the difference of not that much money. Like I mean, again, we no one knows for sure, but that's what it seems like. You can't let a guy like Greg Maddox walk. He won three more Cy Youngs with another team and went on to have a Hall of Fame career wearing someone else's hat. I do not want to see that with Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant, every season he's played, at least 145 games, has been elite. 2015, Rookie of the Year. 2016, MVP. 2017, over like a six war, and I think was fifth in MVP voting or sixth. Should have been up there. Had a great year. 2018, he was banged up, and even then was still 20% above league average as a hitter. Missed over 60 games. 2019, played 145 games, all-star. 2020, banged up, only played half the season's games of a weird pandemic year. Just had a kid, couldn't be near his kid. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a lot. That's a lot going on. And I know there's still rich athletes and stuff like that, but look, people, you have the problems you have. I remember once complaining, saying, ah, first world problems, complaining about something that was going on in my life. And and someone who was nearby, who's an incredibly smart person, was like, well, yeah, that's where you live. You live in the first world. So you're going to have first world problems. You can't help your environment. Don't feel guilty about the fact that you have problems that other people around the world would kill for. Yeah, I mean, it's perspective and you should have perspective, but that's the way it goes. You have problems that pertain to your situation. So yeah, I've, I do have some sympathy for Chris Bryant in that regard in the year 2020. That was a messed up season, everyone. We, I don't think we really appreciate that because we were, look, it was messed up for everybody, of course. So I'm not trying to say anyone had it worse than anyone. It's not a competition. You ever come across people like that where you're like, oh man, my knee hurts. And like, well, your knee hurts. My back hurts. My neck hurts. My, well, what? Okay, good. You have a shittier body than me. What, what are we fighting about right now? You ever meet these people? Those people exist and they're annoying. So when I say that the MLB players had it hard, I'm not saying they had it worse. By the way, my wife's a COVID nurse. Trust me, I know who had it hard and who didn't. But it's still, that's a weird situation to be like, okay, here's here's a very tough mental game. And that's what baseball is. It's very mental. I have to remind people that all the time because you'll see a player slumping and you see people tweeting, why aren't they hitting them in the cages more? It's like, okay, it's not, it's not really how that goes. They're probably thinking too much and they're pressing. If anything, they need to go out to the bars. I'm not saying get hung over, but have some drinks. Forget about the game for a little bit. Get yourself a nice steak dinner at Gibson's. Maybe find yourself at a gentleman's club, you know, just to get your mind off of it. Then go back to the ballpark the next day and clear head, you know, empty wall, clear head. That's what you got to, but that wasn't happening. Instead, they were playing every day and going back to hotel rooms. And look, the modern athlete is on Twitter. They're on social media. They see what's happening. They see you saying, this guy sucks. Get rid of him. Some of them are smart enough to stay off of it, but you know some of them aren't. This is that generation. They they know social media. That's their world. So you got to accept that a little bit. So Chris Bryant has been amazing, and I really, I guess if they if they were to trade him and then sign him in the off season the way the Yankees did with Chapman, that would be something exciting. But again, I'm still holding out hope for this team. I'm smelling an eight out of ten streak coming. I'm hoping that they could get right into a position where the Cubs are like, we're not going to trade all these guys because we could still make the playoffs. Now, the other guy who is part of the good, I, I named a few people here in the good category. Craig Kimbrell, 
There's another signing, everyone, that got judged right away as a terrible signing that's turned out to be a solid signing, actually. I can't say good yet because obviously he was really, really bad in 2019. Didn't have a spring training. In 2020, he started off really bad. His first four outings were terrible. Didn't have a spring training. But starting with his fifth outing last year, which was around, I don't know, August 10th or something like that, he was awesome. In the month of September, he had like a one ERA, if that, or a zero ERA. He was striking out two guys at an appearance. He was back to being Dirty Craig. And that carried over into this year, in which he had a full spring training, where he's looking like an all-star closer again, looking like a guy whose his whole career has been Hall of Fame bound. You love to see it. And that's why I got to bring up you Darvish again, because if we kept you Darvish, what a nasty combination of having one of the best starting pitchers in baseball and one of the best closers in baseball. It's like, ah, I understand. I understand the frustration. Trust me, I do. Kimbrell right now could actually theoretically, if they were to trade him and say in June, they could jump the market. He could be the earliest guy traded. And I think you could get a, you could get a top 50 prospect back for him. I'm not kidding. Closers always go for a more of a premium midseason than they do in the offseason or even more than a, a batter would, more than a hitter would, you know? That's just something to look out for. So, yes, I you got to keep rooting for him. That's that's another thing that kind of, as fans, you just got to keep rooting for these guys because that that either increases their value to the team where it's like, we want, to, we want this guy here long-term, or it's we're going to get a lot back in return for him. So whatever it is, that's why the Cubs are kind of in a really great spot. I just wish they, I wish we had some kind of signal, some kind of wink from the front office to say, we know, we know we only have 50 million committed in payroll next year. And we're the Chicago Cubs and we should be going back to flirting with that luxury tax. We know, we know we got some prospects who, even though the baseball world still has us like ranked around 20th in farm systems, we know that we're on the rise. We know this. We know that we have the most expensive ticket prices in baseball. We know we have a new network that we want people to be watching. We want the ratings, damn it. We know this. Marquee Sports Network right now is running ads that say we get it. I want ads that say we know this. In the same regard, we got an interesting chance here to move some parts, restock that bullpen, re- or restock that farm system, bullpen as well, and in the offseason, go out and spend big. We know this. There should be no reason for a three- to five-year rebuild. Zero reason. When you have $150 million to play with in the offseason, assuming they go right back up to the luxury tax, which is $210 million, they got $150 million or so to play with. They could extend Bryant, extend Rizzo. Contreras, you don't even need to do yet. You have him under team control for next year. I love Javi, but let's face it, we can't keep the same offensive core together. That's just not the way it's going to play. And we have a lot of shortstop depth in the minor leagues. So as heartbreaking as it's going to be, Cubs fans, I'm I'm choosing Javi would be the guy that I'd let go. And I hate, I hate that. Unless his price comes down. I don't it sucks, I know, but they need they really do need to diversify the lineup more. So I I would man, imagine if Jed decided, oh, I don't want to be a baseball president anymore and went into some other line of work and the Cubs went hiring it this upcoming offseason. Not just because it's the Chicago Cubs, but if you're a, a, a baseball executive, this is a wet dream of a scenario. You mean to tell me I got a farm system on the rise and over $150 million to play with? Okay, perfect. Let's let's have some fun. That's like that's the ultimate fantasy baseball dream scenario there. So that's why I want fans to be optimistic. This idea where it's like, we're going to miss the playoffs this year, and it's going to be another five to seven years before we're good again. Stupid. Stupid mindset. Don't, don't, don't fall for it. Now, more to the good. Two more pieces of good. I got these two lumped together. The rise of Adbert, the rise of Nico. Nico Horner, as we all know, did not make the team out of spring training. Should he have? Yes. Did I understand why he didn't? Also, yes. David Bodie and Eric Sogard had equally good of spring trainings as Nico Horner. Nico actually was scuffling toward the end of spring, had a four for 24 stretch at the time in which they announced he was going to start the season in AAA. His numbers were just super high because he went off to a crazy start. Spring training, you go nine for your first 10. Now you're going to, doesn't matter what you do the rest of the spring, you're going to finish with some damn good numbers. And David Bodie, I, I get what they're doing. They're like, David Bodie's never had a shot to be an everyday starter. And they still didn't truly give it to him because Sogard got some reps in there. 
But they were like, hey, we got to find out what if this guy actually is an everyday starter? He had a better spring. He did. He had slightly better, slightly better offensive numbers than Nico Horner. So I wasn't completely opposed to that. I still hated it because there was the triple A season wasn't starting until May. So the whole idea of having Nico start in triple A, because as we all forget, he was brought up in 2019, just a year after being drafted, never got a full uh, minor league season under his belt. So his development's always been very rushed. And it's like, okay, let's take our time with this guy. And I think with Eric Sogard, if he didn't make the team out of camp, you would have had to go through waivers. And they're like, hey, he's the type of batter we need more, solid contact guy, lefty off the bench. Okay. Even though he's anti-vax, which is annoying, or at least we think he is because his wife had a post. That's neither here nor there at the moment, but just he's been a solid pinch hitter is my point. So I think that's why they're like, all right, let's do what we did. I didn't love it. Because Nico's, again, gold glove caliber second baseman. I think some people say he's just average at shortstop. I've seen some plays that look above average to me. He's 23 years old. His player profile, his batter hitting style is what this team has been lacking since Sobrist didn't leave to his own. You know, Zobrist had that. This is another thing. We're talking about why the Cubs didn't win another World Series. You had the Zobrist thing of 2019. I mean, love Ben Zobrist. It was sucks. He had a bunch of personal a bunch of problems in his personal life with his marriage. And then, you know, he's, he misses a lot of 2019 after having a really, really awesome 2018. He hasn't come back to baseball since. It was, he might have retired anyway, but he definitely gave you, even when he was struggling, he, gave, he didn't give away at bats. And that's what you really want a roster of. Guys where even when it's bad, they're not giving away at bats. The Cubs have a few guys that when things are going bad, give away at bats. You don't want to see it anymore. Adbert Alzale, Morazale. As he's being affectionately called, which I love that nickname. I love, by the way, he's a fun Twitter follow. Positive guy, guys working his ass up, works hard. Nasty stuff. Nasty. He made the Atlanta Braves lineup, who I know has been scuffling here or there, but they've got the reigning MVP, the guy who, if the season ended today, would be the MVP of the National League with uh, Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Marcelo Zuna. They've got a stacked lineup of hitters. He made. The reigning MVP Freeman looks stupid. He made uh, Acuna look stupid. LB, like there were some. He's got one of the nastiest sliders in baseball, and, and his fastballs clocked at 95, 96. Everyone talks about the pitchers of the Cubs, all these soft tossers. I go, what about Adbert? They go, oh, I just keep forgetting about him. Don't forget about Adbert. I'm telling you right now, the future is bright. He, to me, his ceiling is getting higher with every outing. I had him pegged as like a number three guy a couple years ago. Now I see him as number two with ace potential even. I mean, that's what you look for. How bad does this guy's stuff make good hitters look? And he's making good hitters look bad. It's not like he's going out there and getting a lot of ground balls and pop-ups and stuff like that where you're just like, yeah, it's solid. You know, they had that one in where they had a bunch of line drives. So who knows? No, he is getting swings and misses from very, very good hitters. That is what you want to see. So that's why the future is bright there. The last thing on my list of good, because I'm kind of breaking this down, good and bad and ugly. Um, the bench, Matt Duffy, very good. Jake Marisnik, I told you what Sogard does. Matt Duffy's been getting a lot of playing time. And and it's great to see because sometimes you we forget because we had such a stacked lineup of young guys and then, you know, Zobris and Fowler there for a stretch of people who, who have so much potential and such a high ceiling. Chris Bryant won an MVP. Javi Baez was runner up an MVP. Anthony Rizzo twice has finished top five in MVP. They all, there's a lot of these guys. Wilson Contreras carries that swagger. There's a lot of these guys who carry that I'm an MVP type player mindset, which is partially, no one really puts this out there, but I'm putting this out there from like a mental standpoint. Maybe that's partially why they're hot and cold as an offense. When they struggle, they've got four or five guys who think that they need to carry the team and they put too much pressure on themselves. And if, and if a guy like Joe Madden and now David Ross can't break them of that, hey, relax, take it easy, you're doing too much mindset, I don't know who could, which is why I think you know we're going to see some changes. But again, we forget, sometimes you need the Matt Duffy's of the world in your lineup. Guys who at the back of their baseball card isn't anything wild, but they'll hit you 260, 270. You know, they grind out at bats, they, they, they hit the ball all over the field. That you need, you need those guys too. That's why it's been so awesome seeing what Nico's been doing. Just been doing damage to the ball, hitting the ball hard all over the place, going with the pitch. Love to see it. So yeah, the bench has been a bright spot. 
it's uh, really contributed this last week with the Enhap struggles, unfortunately. And uh, by the way, everyone listening, I hope Enhap's okay. We haven't heard anything further. It looked like a concussion to me. His nose bleeding when he stood up right away. He looked very dizzy. He had to get carted off the field. Sunday's crazy game, crazy loss to Cincinnati, in which we saw Chris Bryant hitting bombs, looking like the MVP. Javi showing up. Rizzo went deep. And Ian Happ finally breaking out a three of three out of four game where you were like, ah, you just knew he was close to getting that form back. And then that happened. So again, just a bummer to see. That's the baseball. That's baseball for you. Look at the White Sox. Everyone I know is praising the White Sox rebuild. Their top two young studs who they signed to good size extensions before they even stepped foot in a major league game while never having a major league at bat, they extended these guys, which is easier to do before your team wins a World Series and they realize, hey, we're doing some big bucks now. So I'm not knocking the Sox for that. that was smart, but Eloy Jimenez, you know, we all know he passed away and and then Louis Ro- Luis Robert, which sucks. By the way, I don't, even though you guys know, I'm not a white Sox fan at all. I don't root for injuries at all. That's, that's not what I'm doing here, but it just goes to show you. Don't just think, oh, we'll just rebuild again. Again, I think this whole theme of this podcast is anti the Cubs needing to rebuild because the white Sox, if you look on paper, they did their rebuild pretty damn good. This is supposed to be the start of it, and they got two significant injuries this year, two injuries that I don't know if they come back from. I mean, you got these two guys are pretty much out for the season, and I don't think they should rush them back because, again, they have them long-term. Why rush them back? That's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow. So, again, you could do a lot of things right and still get the wrong results. It's just, you know, being healthy. You need that depth, which thankfully the Cubs had back in 2016. Schwarber went down. It's like, all right, we got Chris Coglin. We got Jorge Soler. We're cool. We got you covered. Schwarber, come back in the World Series and be a damn hero. Now, moving on to the bad, I've kind of talked about this with the, throughout the whole podcast, the strikeouts, the offensive strike, striking out just way too much, and the pitching. The pitching I'm actually saving for the ugly section of this, the good, the bad, the ugly, the breakdown of the Cubs month of April to start the season. It's, it's not just the strikeouts because strikeouts are up all over baseball. It's when you're striking out and how you're striking out. There seems to be something lost in the scouting report because they'll come out and swing at pitches where I'm like that cut you took was nowhere near where the ball ended up. You know that, right? Did you not see in, in, in game tape that this guy's slider breaks away like that? You swing right through it. Like you're teaching some kid how to hit it off a tee. That ball broke into the other batter's box. You understand, you understand how dumb you look just then? And there was a lot of that. A lot, and a lot of that just comes from, when your offense starts to scuffle and everyone thinks they need to be to be the hero, throwing that out there. I really think that's a point that has not been made yet. Ian Happ has had a struggle. He was part of my the bad. Javi is Javi's having one of the weirdest seasons ever. Because his OPS is up is up above average. You know, if I'm looking at his overall here, I'll I'll break down the Cubs, uh some of the Cubs stats. Let me let me not just talk out of my ass here. I got the power technology right in front of me, everyone. Javier Baez right now is a 0.8 war. That's that's good. That's pretty good for right now. After one month, that puts him on pace for almost a five-war season. But it's been frustrating to watch. It really has. I mean, he's, he's up a little bit, but like a 270 on base percentage, that's horrific. You know, his OPS is in the high sevens. It's just, you know, he's 25% above league average, which says a lot about the league, if you ask me. His base running hasn't been very good. He's made some mistakes there, but I think he was like six stolen bases puts him at like second or third in the league. RBIs, I think he was like second or third in the league. Home runs, he's like top five. So and he plays still plays gold glove caliber defense. So there's a lot about Javi I love. It's just that makeup you can't trust. It's amazing that he has 22 RBI actually, because there are times where he is up with a runner in third and and one out where all he needs to do is make contact and he strikes out. He is just, if he executes that, he would have 30 RBIs right now if he executed a little bit more in that scenario. Again, don't want to be doom and gloom, but I got to be accurate with my recapping of the month of April. All right, now the pitching. Let's talk about how awful the pitching has been. The ERAs are atrocious. Zach Davies has come out and said, worst stretch of my career. Kyle Hendricks, worst stretch of his career. I don't know. The pitch lab and what the pitching infrastructure has been the last year and change. I mean, you Darvish credits Tommy Hadovy for helping him turn things around. So I'm imagining this is just some weird, bad month. Hendricks has always kind of gone off to bad starts, and the Atlanta lineup has his number. I'm real curious. I'd have to look at the game logs. Maybe I'll tweet this out tomorrow as well. 
take away the two starts against Atlanta, and I bet Hendricks's numbers still won't be good, but they'll be like, okay, that's that's a start. That's a bad start that we've seen from him before. You know, in April, which is the RAs around four and a half, five. Okay. I'm still, you know, then you still have a little more confidence that he gets back to by the end of the season being that Kyle Hendricks with a three ERA. That's what you want to see. All right. Is there any, now I feel like I got to like pump you guys up. Let's get pumped up now. Cause I think I, I, I didn't mean to everybody. I'm just trying to wrap my head around what you're trying to wrap your head around. Where does this team go? What is the future? Sorry, I've been a little redundant. I've rambled a lot. It's been a 55 minute podcast. Not having a game tonight, you know, rain, rain delay for me too. It rain delayed my brain is what happened. I had a rain out in my head. I still see this as a talented enough team to go on a run of, you know, winning eight out of 10, like I'd said before, getting right there. Milwaukee just doesn't scare me. They got, yes, their top two starters are nasty, but still as an overall team, I don't care. They got a great defense. Sure. Wong and Bradley are wonderful defenders. They're still average hitters. Christian Yelich is banged up. They got a, they got a few other guys where I'm just like, okay, I look at that team. I'm not afraid of them. I look at the Cardinals. Yeah, Arenado, Goldschmidt. Okay, yeah, there's some good players there. But still, 25-man roster. Still, I just don't. We're lacking in that starting pitching column. There's no mistakes by that. That's become the thing. The offense, believe it or not, I think is on the right path. I do. I think if they if the offense plays like it did this past week, the rest of the year, you're going to find it becoming an above-average offense. It will get into that territory. Because, again, we forget it's only April, or it's May now. It's May 2nd or May 3rd. I apologize. It's early May. I'll just say early May so I don't sound like an idiot getting the date wrong consecutively. So much changes in April. I was talking to someone the other day about how, oh, the Cubs gave up on Dwayne Underwood and look how good he's been. I checked his numbers. I'm like, Dwayne Underwood's going to have a five-and-a-half year right by the end of the year. I don't care if it's three right now. Trust me on that. They gave him enough chances. It's just you can't every time someone leaves our team and does something decent with another team, don't don't go woe is me all the time. Okay? Keep your head up. Sunny days are still ahead for this franchise. We're just going through a transition. There's good to be had in that too. You could find the good in that. There were teams where I remember being like, How do they develop all these guys? I'm like, how? Because they had a couple bad years there where they were just allowed to play somebody. We haven't been able to develop on the fly. I used to think Albert Elmore Jr. was a guy who if he would have came up for like a Baltimore Orioles or a Marlins or a team that just wasn't competing and they would just be like, all right, yeah, go out and have 600 at-bats. We're not winning this year. He event- he would eventually become a very solid Major League Baseball player. But he came up at the end of 2016 as a role of being like a fifth outfielder defensive replacement only and pinch runner and had one of the greatest tag ups in baseball history in game seven. And then the next year was platooned and platooned to the point where, you know, if you're the righty on the righty lefty platoon, you got to do a lot because the manager always wants to start the lefty. He was in a John Jay. He was in a platoon with John Jay and John Jay got way more opportunities than Albert Omar did. So I remember Elmore had a stretch where he was looking real good. Then he had a bad week or so, which every player gets. You're allowed to have a bad week or two, especially as a 22-year-old rookie. But when your team's competing, that 2017 Cubs, remember, we were below 500 at the All-Star break. Made the trade for trade for Quintana. He go he helped really turn that around. We ended up winning 92 games, win the division by four or five games, get to the NLCS, lose the Dodgers in five, but still a very successful season. Because a lot of teams, there was a pattern there where teams would win the World Series and miss the playoffs entirely the next year. The Cubs were the first team to go back in a while. That was a trend. Win the World Series, had that big hangover, you partied too much, injuries, whatever. Missed the playoffs. So, yeah, Elmore never got that shot he would have on a bad team. And that's kind of, you know, that's every now and then it's nice to have a year like that. Don't get me wrong, the the goal is still to make the playoffs every year, and I expect the 2022 Cubs to make the playoffs and to go on a deep run. That's my expectations. But again, this is going to be a transition season. I'm just trying to prepare you, the listener, and try to look for the positives so we could all enjoy a summer of baseball. That's really what I'm trying to do with all this, everyone. So hopefully I'm still, still optimistic the Cubs could really turn it around. Everyone keeps saying, well, we got a tough part of the schedule. Well, what a better time to turn it around prove that, hey, we are one of the better teams in this league. Go on a nice run. We were four games below 500 
for the month of April. Let's go six games over for the month of May. You know, going to June, feeling good. Weather's warming up. The bats start to get hot. We know how it is at Rigby Field. Wind starts to turn around. Then they're in a position where it's like, well, shit. Maybe we add. Maybe we're a buyer. We're way under the luxury tax, so it's no scaring, you know, we can't go over the luxury tax for the third consecutive year because there's penalties. That's not a worry. I think they're going to, I think at the, after the, in the second half, I think the city of Chicago goes, hey, you can go up to 50% capacity. I think that's going to be happening. More and more people are being vaccinated, all that stuff, you know, good things are happening. Everyone still wash your hands, wear a mask, be safe about it. These things don't just disappear and you can still get it while being vaccinated. It just minimizes the symptoms. Got to throw that out there too. So I'm going to wrap it up. We're at the one hour mark, everyone. Let's keep enjoying the ride. That's all we could ask for as baseball fans to enjoy the ride. And, uh, and you know what? Just let, let's just leave it there. Let's just enjoy the ride. All right, everyone. Hey, thanks so much for everyone listening to the true blue Cubs podcast. Go out and check out past episodes. I don't care if you write a review on iTunes. A lot of podcasts say that it doesn't matter to me. If you want to write a five-star review, please, that'd be great. Not, I just appreciate you guys going to my YouTube channel, checking out my stand up comedy because my YouTube channel is monetized. I get money per views. Just, just click play and mute it and then go do other things and just have those views, have those videos play continuously. That'd be fun, right? All right. Hopefully the Cubs uh, turn the bats around. I'll be back uh, maybe later this week, I think. I'm still trying to figure out a schedule for this podcast. I've been doing one a week. I might amp it up to two a week. Uh, the next pe- episode will definitely have a, a fellow Cubs fan in which we'll talk some um, fun cub stuff and of course on every episode we recap what's currently happening too so give you a little bit of that you guys are the best and as always go cubs